I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're on Long Final, Ireland's aviation podcast from Squawk 7000. Nolfin, welcome to Long Final from Squawk 7000. Um, I have been so looking forward to having a chat with you on multiple levels. One, for the very fact that if there's anybody who has, I think, a lot of time on the Boeing 747, it's probably yourself. But another aircraft that I'm going to whet our listeners' appetites with as well will be the DC-3. So two airplanes that certainly arouse a certain level of passion uh, for, for people when it comes to aviation. Let's find out a little bit about you. Where are you from? Well, the surname of Flynn, obviously there's a link to Ireland, Michael, and my great-grandfather was born in Cork. I uh, was born up in South Africa where mm. uh, he had moved to. And uh, my dad, being in engineering in South African Airways, we lived close to the airport at uh, Johannesburg. And, of course, there was the catalyst for our enthusiasm for aviation because mm. instead of attent- paying attention at classrooms, we were looking at airplanes in the circuit at, uh, at Joburg. So that's where it originated from, uh, born in, in, in South Africa. A long time ago. But that's so funny because that's a story I've already heard so many times of young people looking out the window, maybe when they should be looking in, and also being a bit of an airport brat or airport baby. Did you get out to the airfield often? Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, the, the biggest highlight of our lives was spending a day with my dad at work. And uh, my brother, Hugh, who, who has been uh, in Ireland for the last 27 years, uh, we had spent the whole day sitting in the cockpit of uh, Vicons and 707s. Mm. And, uh, and and that actually introduced me to, to a fortunate situation, Michael, in that um, a friend of my dad was in the simulator section at, uh, at South African Airways. And he formed a flying club called the Flying Springbok Aero Club at Rand Airport, southeast of uh, Johannesburg downtown. And uh, as a schoolboy, I used to cycle to, <clears throat> to Rand Airport and uh, my function was the the odd job fella. You know, I cleaned the hangars and washed the aeroplanes. And in return, instead of uh, any any payment, it was uh, to get a flip as, as the last thing of the day. So, yeah, I was set. That was that was the catalyst, of course. What were you flying? Uh, they had a three Cherokee one forties, mm. and they had just purchased one of the first uh, Cherokee Arrows, the two hundred. And uh, so I'd often be in the back of the the Arrow when they were doing IF to look out for other traffic. Um, they had a tiger moth, and uh, sadly I lost the logbook. But I, I accumulated about three hundred hours just as a schoolboy. Um, as I say, being <laughs> being taken for rides <laughs> after a day of cleaning, which is wonderful, wonderful background to for do any you, young guy to start. Do you remember your first solo? Oh, very much so. I I, um, I joined the South African Air Force 
And uh, that happened in the Air Force. I straight off to school went to, to the Air Force and the basic trainer was the Harvard T6. And the first uh, solo on that was something I'll never forget. <laughs> I'm not sure I was quite ready for it, but what a fantastic trainer to, to, to start a career on. It was wonderful, wonderful, yes. The, the decision to go into the Air Force, was was that uh, an extension of your love of aviation or were there any other motivations for it? Uh, good question. Actually, it was, um, of course, I, I, I had my eye on, uh, on flying fast jets, which was uh, the, the big lure. But the ultimate goal was getting into the airline. And um, uh, there was a, a period where I, I absolutely loved life in the Air Force, but I, I never lost that uh, the ultimate goal of, of progressing towards the airline, as most young guys do. Um, the Air Force was fun, and we timed it perfectly, uh, Michael, in that there was a gentleman by the name of Dick Lord who was um, South African-born but flew for the Fleet Air Arm and was subsequently um, seconded to the U.S. Air Force. And he flew lots of lovely stuff um, and was one of the co-founders of the Red Flag exercise in uh, in the United States. Now, I presume I'm talking around the, the late 60s. He retired, and when he went back to South Africa, the South African Air Force obviously sought his services, and he revolutionized the South African Air Force in putting young guys back into jets instead of the old group. So I was lucky, as, as my whole career was, Michael, that mm. I was the right time at the right place and managed to fly some very nice airplanes. And we're talking about what, this, the, the 1970s primarily at that particular time. Indeed. Uh, this was... Uh, I actually left the Air Force in 1979, so it was a period between 74 and 1979. Mm. What, what, was it, what was it like in South Africa at that particular time? Were there, were there calls on the Air Force at any stage? Did you, did you see any, uh, any flying in anger? Yes, and I, I, very interesting question, Michael. I, uh, as a young guy, you know, I was in my early 20s. Um, the objection, excuse me, the objective for me was, of course, the fun of flying. Mm. I got into flying a Sabres and Mirage 3s, but uh, the, the goal for me was a Buccaneer, which we were the only Air Force other than the uh, the UK forces that flew flew the Buck. And we did see military action. As I say, I saw it as the greatest thing in, in the world, notwithstanding uh, the fact that the, the political influence was something else. But the exercises were dramatically exciting for a young guy like, like myself. Yeah. And then the airlines beckoned. Yes, um, I still shiver in my shoes when I had to go to my OC <laughs> and tell him I was resigning to join the, the airline because, um, yeah, I, I, I had to break my contract. And, of course, um, mm. I had to go to the bank manager too and get some money to buy myself out of the uh, South African Air Force. And um, joined SAA in, uh, the day after I left the, the Air Force in mid-1979. And in those days, we joined the airline as second officers. In, in South African Airways, it was called a boy pilot. Oh. And uh, <laughs> there were other ruder names than that, but I, I best not go there, Michael. But um, it was it was lovely. The first 18 months were spent as a cruise relief pilot. And then um, we progressed on to the 737. But actually, coincidentally, uh, the airline was short of pilots at the time. So we continued our role as second officers on the Jumbo while flying as first officers on the uh, 737, which ultimately... Um, meant that by the time I've, I did my conversion as a first officer on 747s, I spent uh, oh, just on 40 years on jumbos, which was lovely. Uh, I was mm. really lucky. And I suppose if you're going to get stuck on an airplane, that's probably the one to be stuck on. 
I'm thinking about the the actual flights. We must be talking fairly long distances. Um, in in SA, when we started off, of course, politically, we were South Airways was banned from flying up up Africa. So, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the, uh, the flights would uh, do a sort of tech stop at Sull Island, excuse me, in the Cape Verde Islands. However, there were those that they tried to get into uh, Frankfurt, Zurich, London. And in the event uh, you, you ran short of gas, we'd lob into uh, Lisbon mm. if the winds were not as, and of course, were never as reliable as we have them today. But yeah, long sectors. The variants. What uh, what what numbers did you fly in the seven four seven? Oh man, <laughs> I, I feel a bit chuffed. Thank you for that question, Michael. I was lucky to fly all variants except for the one hundred series, wow. which gee, was now. Forgive me for my lack of education, but I, I think uh, Elengus flew the one hundred series. They did. The first two were the yeah. hundreds. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the only one I missed. But luckily, uh, the two hundred, the, the combi, the three hundred sp. 400 and then eventually the dash eight which was lovely absolutely wonderful tell us about the sp the baby jumbo lovely uh, it was very much uh, more maneuverable than than what the 200 series was of course uh, the power was spectacular because they had the same engine and if i remember correctly the airplane weighed about 50 60 odd tons less at maxwell upweight so of course it performed beautifully. You'd go straight up to uh, at least level 350 after takeoff, which was wonderful, but then end up in the 40,000 feet, of course, I'm talking of. There was no auto throttle on those airplanes in those days, other than for Autoland. So the engineer had a, had a quite a hard time on the SP because of the short fuselage. It was somewhat speed unstable in, in turbulence. So the poor engineer was fighting thrust levers all, <laughs> all night, either doing Mach 9 or stalling, or one of the two, but yeah. uh, oh, a fun aeroplane. Do you remember the transition from um, the having a flight engineer to being a two-pilot crew? What was the impact of that on, on 747 crews? I, I really missed the, the flight engineer. You know, they were not only uh, such good resource on, on the flight deck, their technology was fantastic, Michael, but I, I was fortunate enough to do the original 400 course at Boeing. And I suppose that created some sort of uh, mystique and, and uh, excitement to getting onto the airplane without a, a flight engineer. Um, and the systems were so logically and well presented that the workload actually enabled uh, the operation without the flight engineer. So. In hindsight, uh, it was a sad day to to lose the, th the vital third man in the cockpit. But having said that, a Boeing presentation of a fine aeroplane like the 400 um, certainly enabled the technical um, support that was there. Tell me about any trips you had to Seattle. Did you meet any interesting characters? Oh, golly. Yeah, I, I went to Seattle once or twice just to visit friends. But uh, if I may bore you with a story, Michael, when I, when I joined Cargillux, um, one of the flight engineers in Cargillus on the 200 series, which they still had, uh, not that I flew them, uh, was a good friend of uh, Mr. Joe Sutter, who everyone knows was the designer of the, the 747. Joe used to come and play in the Cargillus golf tournament every year. And uh, I had the opportunity of, of, of having a few holes with him and uh, enjoying dinner with him. But the luck was having him on board the airplane, flying him back to Seattle. And uh, he was about to write his book, which I'm sure many have read, but if not, it's a must, the 747. And he was telling me about the, the upcoming book. And just to listen to, to the inside tale of this wonderful man was really spectacular. But 
in all his technical excellence, Michael, he was such a humble fellow too, you know, a, a unique story was we were flying into Seattle in descent and we had a company frequency that we would uh, contact. And he knew this and he had on a piece of paper written a phone number and he said, would I mind calling or asking the office staff to call the taxi for him when he arrived? And I thought, sure, of course we'd do that. But uh, I thought a surprising a man of his stature would need to phone a taxi. Of course, it was no such thing. Um, the police escort and the VIP cars that were waiting for him as a, a really Mr. VIP of, of <laughs> Seattle was dramatic to say the least. But what a lovely experience to meet him. It's fantastic. I'll, I'll never forget that. You mentioned cargo locks there, obviously, as we transitioned <clears throat> from South Africa and airlines. When did that happen and what was the, the driver behind that? That happened in 1993. Michael, I'd spent um, about three years at that stage on the 400. And uh, Carlos were about to introduce the first 400 freighter and wanted some experience on top. And uh, I was at that stage one of the senior co-pilots still in South and Airways. And uh, a contract was offered and I went there for one year and uh, never left. <laughs> it was a lovely experience. They offered me a, a, a job, of course. Um, I, I was somewhat keen to get back to South and Airways, but the, one of the offers in the the lure was uh, a command on the 747, and that was uh, something I couldn't turn down. So I, I spent 27 years with Cognos and loved every minute of it. It really is a wonderful job. I would really promote it for any young guy that's that's looking for a good career in long-range operation. Uh, based in Luxembourg? Based in Luxembourg. The uniqueness of it was the fact that it's so central in Europe. The tiny country of Luxembourg doesn't warrant that sort of operation, but certainly Europe does. And uh, it was really unique. Of course, set up by originally Iceland Air. They did a fantastic job and the company just boomed to where they are now with in excess of 30 jumbos and a fantastic operation. Of course, strange little situation and um, that every crisis that's hit the, the planet in the last 10, 20, 30 years has been such beneficial uh, repercussion to Cargolux, especially uh, last year. Tragically enough, they had the best year on record. So it's it's... Swings and roundabouts, as mm. we know, but um, yeah, a, a fine air. It was very nice to work with. The, them. There's often a certain misunderstanding about some pilots about the difference between you know passenger flights versus cargo as a career, and dare I say, even a little bit of snobbery. Yeah, those cargo pilots are snobs. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. It's um, you know, it's changed. Of course, uh, going back in the old days, that the tough old days of the cargo pilots at night was was serious, and they they faced. Hmm. an uphill battle. The job today is is very much refined and the operation in the flight deck is, as I know it, is exactly the same as whether it's passenger or cargo operation, Michael, but uh, it's very nice. Uh, and the, what made me enjoy cargo so much is, of course, the route structures. Um, the company, of course, hasn't got the uh, the infrastructure to support as a, as a main carrier would do, passenger operation being. But... Um, the, the the function and, and job-wise is, is very nice. And uh, they sought after jobs today. We had numerous pilots. Uh, in fact, I would say 50% of our pilots come from passenger operations, like in, in uh, mainland Germany, the mm. Lufthansa's and KLM's pilots joined Cargolux. Good job. Did you have uh, many Irish crew with you in Cargolux? Not many, but there were some. In fact, on the 200, um, I... I I'm sure some of our, our members uh, would know this. And there was a, a very nice gentleman who I never got to fly with called Bernie Black. And he was, he spent many years with Carlos. But of course, um, the one that I actually have to mention 
is uh, Camilla Tsan. And now Camilla was in Aer Lingus and met a, a Luxembourgish chap and married and, and moved to, to Luxembourg and joined Cargillux. And she was the first lady to join Cargillux and became a TRI, TRE, and in fact today is a senior examiner on, on the job. And uh, a, a, if I may use the term, a class act. She has <laughs> really done uh, the ladies in aviation proud in that she's a perfect example of, of a lady conducting the job properly. And to date, I think there are 20-odd ladies in, in Cargillux all doing a fine job. Irish pilots, uh, there have been two or three guys recently that joined in the last two years. But, of course, the more the merrier. It'd be Every time there's been an Irish pilot, is he or she has been extremely mm, popular, mm. which is lovely. Noel, we're talking about your time in Cargo Lux. I'm curious as well, because of the nature of the flying, did you ever find yourself in any unusual destinations? Oh, um, the, the company flew to some very unusual places. I didn't get the opportunity to do them all because probably... 30% of the company's work was as charter. One of the most interesting places I went to, strangely enough, by pure coincidence, was a place called Uppington in South Africa, which is very hot and high. And it is somewhat known, Michael, because the airport, specifically the runway they built there, was in excess of 5,000 meters long, I do believe, built on two purposes. One being SAA were thinking of trying to use it as a, as a better uh, airport for departures to try and get into Europe. It is a thousand foot lower elevation than Johannesburg. And of course, the longer runway would enable it. But of course, it was used as an emergency stop. <laughs> Not that it was used, excuse mm-hmm. me, uh, for the shuttle. Ah, okay. It, it, it yes. was, it was uh, an opportunity. So we used to fly down there with motor cars for most of the German manufacturers to do hot and high testing. And it was a most interesting little place because in the desert, the village was was built around the Orange River, which flowed copiously through the town. And uh, we used to go and spend a couple of days in the middle of this place. Beautiful. And, of course, all these often famous drivers would be there testing these cars. So, yeah, most unusual. Interesting. <laughs> the way you're describing it all, it doesn't sound like you worked a day in your life. <laughs> I've never worked a day in my life. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 before we started chatting, I, I wanted to say how fortunate I've been and how lucky Mm. A lot of us are, but in my case, I had, had 46 years of flying and not one day was a negative. I was never influenced by anything negative. Mm. And I, I really, my heart goes out to, to all the pilots in Ireland now that have been subjected to such terrible situations in the last 18 months. Mm. And I wish against anything that uh, the recovery is quick and, and it benefits everyone in aviation that has been so badly hurt mm. by this situation. So I, I was I, lucky. As you say, it's it's for a lot of people, it's so much a passion as well as a career and, and a job that's there too. Absolutely, Michael. And I, I, it was a passion to me. If, if something had stopped me flying as a young guy, I'd have been brokenhearted. So I feel for these young guys that have really mm. been, been hurt. Shame. I know you're not, not flying, that you have the access to aircraft, but uh, can you describe your last 747 flight for me? Oh, it was a, a special flight. I, I was... Given the roster of choice, um, I, I've enjoyed flying to the Far East, but there were lockdowns there, which which kept me away. So I, I bid for the easiest and most convenience. And I flew from Luxembourg to Los Angeles, spent a couple of days there. And then my prime destination was uh, a few days in Seattle. And uh, the return flight was uh, from Seattle through Prestwick, where we used to, well, Carlos still does a couple of flights a day, and then on to Luxembourg. Um the company was very nice uh, in that 
the last sector, they had arranged without my knowledge that the call sign was actually going to be changed from Cargolux to null. <laughs> so I wow. don't know it. And after takeoff, uh, when we contacted London, they called uh, null. <laughs> so you can imagine the confusion in my face, but uh, <laughs> lovely. Uh, it was a very special uh, last flight, and uh, I, I'll miss it, of course. Mm. But um, as as I mentioned to you, Michael, we've we've moved to to Ireland. Love it. I can't wait to explore the island, which I haven't done yet, of course. Mm. But uh, that's made up for a lot, and uh, look forward to. You, you'll certainly enjoy years. that, uh, especially from the air as well. Are you a sentimental man? Was it a, was it a, a heart a, a heart wrenching moment to to walk off the flight deck? Yeah, it was. I um, I, I, I wouldn't uh, be honest if I said it wasn't. I I love my job. I <clears throat> excuse me. I spent. Um, Oh, a third of every month in the simulator, I did a lot of training. And mm. uh, so when I went flying, it was lovely. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, we had nice colleagues. So it was a, a sad day to shut down for the last time. And I, I've thought about what it was, Michael. I'll certainly not miss checking into hotels or packing suitcases or going through security. Mm. But it's the, the joy of a flying the airplane, of the joy of traveling. And... Uh, you know, experiencing that airplane specifically, in, in my mind, I know a lot of Airbus guys would laugh at me now, but, <laughs> but that airplane specifically was something special to uh -huh. not be allowed to operate again. That's my, my restriction, I suppose. It did, gets me. Did you enjoy instructing? Loved it. I really did enjoy it. And uh, I got into instruction in, uh, well, just before I left SAA, a little bit in the Air Force. But... Um, I, I, I was lucky enough to be influenced by a lot of fine people that made me interested in, in, in instructing. And I, interestingly enough, Michael, decided to convert my Sophie license, excuse me, to an Irish license um, for a number of reasons, although I had a, a frozen ATP in the UK. And the reason I'm telling you that is because when I, I had to convert my type rating instructor TRI and subsequently TRE onto the Irish license, I was sent an inspector, of course, to do my, my, my check ride. And that inspector was a, a fine gentleman by the name of Captain Michael O'Brien. And uh, I, I, from day one, every time he, he demonstrated or showed or advised, I realized there was a knack to this occupation of instructing or examining that can be positive, that can be beneficial, and that can be enjoyable. And that that really got me, and I thought this is the way to do it, and uh, I'll forever be thankful for him. Mm. And you know what a small world, Michael. He's now my neighbour, <laughs> and yeah, it's amazing after all yeah. these years. Yeah. Um, there, I bumped into Mike. So these these are the men, and, and there are many that I would hate to to ignore. Any fine instructors that that have influenced certainly me mm. that thought this is this is a nice way to train. Have you seen a, a change of style from the nineteen seventies in instruction to today? Oh. Much more in the positivity, yeah. In the, yeah the much positive more. learning. Oh well said, Michael, very much so. You know, it was um it was trained by by stick in, mm. in the old days. And um, of course, there's there's pros and cons to everything, but this new approach is very nice. It's open minded it carries responsibility of both the instructor and the student. You know, the, the student has to provide his, her bit as well. Do your homework, come prepared. And it, it makes it a pleasure. It makes it most enjoyable. And, of course, the onset of, um, in basic terms, crew resource management has been ever mm. important because mm. that was ignored until, as you know better than I do, the late, the late 70s. 
And uh, so the in- introduction and uh, combination of both CRM into basic technical training has been a fantastic step forward for everybody. Let's talk about the other air- aeroplane in your life. I was going to say the other woman in your life, the DC-3. Oh, yes. oh gee, what a, what a splendor. You know, I, <clears throat> a lot of my colleagues in the Cypher Airports went and flew seven three, uh, excuse me, DC-3s. And uh, it was a lure because, I, as I mentioned earlier, I had this airline in my mind. But the jets were, were a bit stronger. <laughs> um, so I, I thought I'd lost out and uh, I, I'd love to have flown a DC-3. And yet the surprise all came with a phone call in nine, uh, sorry 2015 with a friend of ours in, in Germany who said um, a colleague of his wanted to buy a DC-3. And I thought, there's only one guy I'd want to get hold of. And that was a chap called uh, Flip Vermeulen in South Africa. And he had started the South African Airways Historic Flight and uh, subsequently had moved on to develop his own company in Springbok Classic Air, and they had a few DC-3s. <clears throat> when I phoned him, he said his DC-3 is for sale, and they started the story. The, the, the sale went through. This friend of ours bought the, the DC-3, and uh, we actually flew it up, Michael, from, from Joburg to, to Germany. Um, <laughs> that's a story that would take that's days. That's a separate episode, you. I'm guessing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we might do that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's, it's very, very entertaining. And uh, yeah. it took us 11 days. Oh. But when we got, it to, got the airplane to Germany, we, we were inundated with people that wanted access to it. But the biggest problem came from getting the airplane registered because the owner wanted it on an AOC. And, and that complicated the issue. Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mm-hmm. However, um, I was chatting to my brother, Hugh, uh, who was at that time CEO of ASL 
Aviation, and also a director with the IHF, the Irish Heritage Flight Foundation. And they expressed interest to to have this airplane on site in Ireland. And that culminated in meetings with Hugh, actually the CEO of Air Lingus, Stephen Kavanagh, and Michael Healy. And the, the plan was, was put in stone and it actually worked. And that is, we brought the airplane to Shannon, where she was repainted into the colors of Air Lingus or retro colors of Air Lingus and looked absolutely beautiful. What a what a joy. We left the airplane in, in Shannon for six weeks. She got painted and we went back uh, about five days before the Bray show in 2017 to collect her. And this airplane rolled out of the ASL hangar. It, it looked spectacular. And it was a very unique DC-3 because it only had uh, 12 and a half thousand hours total time on it. Wow. And the reason being, after being built in the States, it was given to the Royal Air Force who seconded it to the South Air Force to fly troops in the Second World War back from Cairo to South Africa and then put in storage for many, many, many years, then used as a trainer, uh, a training platform, I should say, for navigator training in the South Air Force, subsequently back to storage, thereafter bought by Chap Flippy, who converted it to uh, the registration Zulu Sierra November Tango Echo, which she was when we brought her across here. After picking her up, we uh, we brought her to Dublin Airport, which was really very interesting in the DC-3 in the busy airspace that wish we could have today. But And we did a, an introduction to Aer Lingus, and we did some flying from, from Dublin Airport, obviously with, with local contact support. We flew down the River Liffey at about oh, 1,500 feet, yeah. down over Bray to see where we'd be performing. But, you know... Amongst people that, that came to have a ride with us was the same Captain Michael O'Brien who drove miles to get to the airplane on time and also a lady by the name of Margaret McLoon who was a stewardess on, on DC-3s with their lingus in, um, I do think it was between 52 and 19, uh, 1952 and 1955. So special, yeah, it was a special airplane. What is it about that aircraft that uh, just lifts people's hearts? It's, it, it's it's the shape, it's the sound, it's it's everything, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And the reliability, mm. you know, and of course, it, it when you think back to the manufacturing of an airplane, that size to be so reliable in those days is just phenomenal. And um, what caught me, you know, being spoilt and, and we lose the uh, the wonderful atmosphere and romanticism of these airplanes is starting a jumbo is two switches, uh, even less on an Airbus. But getting those engines started, the old uh, Pratt & Whitney's on the DC-3 was really special and one had to be very cautious to enable longevity of the engine. Um, you know, we'd start the engines after a while and... Uh, you wouldn't move the airplane for 10 minutes to slowly warm up and get everything. I, I think I remember one of the mechanics telling us there was something like 900 moving parts in that engine. Hmm. Don't rush anything. <laughs> Don't rush say. anything. <laughs> my, my favorite DC-3 story was standing beside one once and noticing an oil leak coming from the engine. And the pilot said to me, he said, we only worry if you can't see that. Because there's no oil left. <laughs> <laughs> well, me being a, a, a real clot, I, I, my first day flying, I had a nice white shirt on and ah, everyone laughed. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know what they were laughing at, but of course, the joke was on me at the end of the flight. It was, yeah, yeah. It was a black shirt, yeah. You got to fly this, of course, at Bray and Foynes. Michael, after the introduction to Air Lingus, that was in July 2017, uh, we took the airplane to Weston, where we kept it as a base. They introduced her to all the, the members and followers of the IHFF. And then that weekend, uh, the Saturday, I think it was the 
1st, 22nd of July, 2017. We flew down to Shannon, waited for our slot, and then did a display at Foynes, uh, which itself, what wonderful history we learned while we were actually waiting at, at, at Shannon for this display. And then after the Foynes display, uh, we flew back to Western. However, we changed our minds on the, on the way back that we thought wasting time by landing, restarting, and we'll just stay airborne. And excuse the story that um, <laughs> we were given a call sign of Shamrock 1947. And of course, we tried to say Sham- Shamrock with pride, with as much an Irish accent as we could, but not that it worked. Um, <laughs> but ATC must have thought we were locals because we said, look, we'd like to change our plan and and we'd like to hold somewhere, please, until we can do our present uh, our show at Bray. And the guy said, yeah, hold it, Joe's Bridge. I- I'm making that up. So we searched charts and we looked. <laughs> and, of course, he was talking to local references. We were looking at uh, VORs and NDB. So we, you could have been told that, that, you, that glass houses and the, uh, would have meant as much to you in, in the same way. Uh, t- yeah. <laughs> you, you fired a lot of memories that day, I think, in Bray when it, when it flew down the beach. Because uh, I was certainly talking to some of the people in the crowd afterwards. And they just said they remembered grandparents flying on it or going out to the airport to see the airplane. It was a good idea, wasn't it, uh, uh, to get it in the Aer Lingus colours? It, had a, it, had a good, it, it worked. Oh, Michael, absolutely fantastic. You know, the support, um, of course, person to person after landing in Western was unbelievable. People had driven from all over Ireland to see this, and, and everyone had a story as to why they wanted to see this airplane. And, uh, I mean, the history behind it, if I remember correctly, Aer Lingus flew them right up until 1964. Mm. And uh, what, a, what a machine. Uh, but the colours, I, th- I think that aeroplane will never look as beautiful and as proud as she did in, in those Aer Lingus colours. The, the tragedy is the aeroplane has been sold now and uh, the, the owner, I think, ran out of the huge effort of getting this registered on an AOC. So I, I, I really, I wouldn't like to commit as to where we, we go with aeroplane now, but it seems unlikely that we'll be able to follow the same lovely protocols that we had. And the plans, um, if I may, the opportunity was presented by the fantastic uh, efforts that Bernard Cullen has done at Ballyboy. We first flew up to have a look at the airfield and realized it would be a little bit tight operating even at lower weights, the DC-3 in and out of, of Ballyboy. Uh, Bernard immediately went down to moving some trees, but, but that still didn't present a, a platform on which we could base a safe operation. Looking at it today, oh man, it is absolutely beautiful what he has mm, done. Mm. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm somewhat reticent to say uh, I'm not what chance, how chances we have of getting uh, NTE back, subject to what we, we get to agreements with the new owner. But it'll be, be sad if we don't have her back here in these colours uh, in Ireland. Beautiful, beautiful aeroplane. Noel, what are you going to do for your flying fix? Oh man, I, I, I've had three months off now. Um, Michael, since retirement, and uh, yeah, the bugs got me. Uh, the company's asked me to go back and do some similar training, but of course, due restrictions, that's not possible. I think, um, you know, I have to tell you, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat embarrassed. I renewed my SEP rating <laughs> in, in uh, October last year, and uh, gee, I terrified an instructor when I tried to flare at 50 feet. Um, something I'm going to have to get used yeah, that, to. That's the, the, so, the pilot's height flaring the 747, I'm guessing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. you, you flare at 50 feet yeah. latest and, um, <laughs> you know, your height, your head's probably 80, 90 feet. So it wasn't a wise thing to do on a Cessna yeah. 172. Yeah. So the first thing I will do, 
Michael, let's get some training to <laughs> get myself more competent on a, on an SEP again, and and mm. I take it from there. Mm. But I, I I can't leave aviation alone. There's there's just too much, and the enthusiasm in Ireland for aviation is so lovely. I've I've even, if I may say, your your podcast is just wonderful. You know, to to read so many blogs, uh, aviation in Ireland. I I'm so motivated that one can't leave it alone, and I, I won't be able to. But we'll see where this takes us. Well, Noel, I have a funny feeling we will be talking to you again, but maybe we'll be good to do it on an airfield, near an airplane or under a wing. And I look forward to hearing the story of the delivery from South Africa to Germany of a DC-3. That sounds like there's a yarn in there or two. There's, there's a lot to be said. Michael, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And as I say, I'm somewhat humbled by the uh, other esteemed comments you've had and, and commentators that you've had on the program. Much appreciated. I've enjoyed the time chatting with you. Well, it does prove there's some good folk around aviation. Noel, thank you so much indeed. And to you, Michael. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.